This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So let's pray first. Father, we come to you as your little children, and we need to be taught this morning. We need to be guided. We need to be corrected, Lord, and... Uh, and so we pray that you would do that for us now as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 18, beginning of verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called the little child unto him and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Okay, now chapter 18, as we come to it now, opens with a question, a question that the disciples had. They came to Jesus and they asked this question, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what's interesting about this chapter and how that starts is it has these four little words at the beginning where it says, at that same time. And that causes us to ask the question, what time? What time was that? What time is it talking about? So we have to then look back and what happened in chapter 17, that which was Peter, when he was challenged with this question as to whether or not his master was going to pay the, uh, the tribute money, the temple tax. And we remember that without even checking with the Lord, so typical of Peter, he jumps in and he blurts out, yes, yes, he's going to pay the temple tax. Now, the Lord knew all about that conversation between the tribute tax collector and Peter before Peter even had a chance to explain it to the Lord. And then the Lord explained to Peter that really he should not have to pay the temple tax. But nevertheless, he says, in order for them to 
not offend that they should pay the temple tax money and the provision was made, remember, for Peter with the fish and the mouth and the money so that they could Peter could pay the temple tribute money for both the Lord and Peter. But the overriding principle that Christ laid out to be understood was in chapter 17, verse 27, Matthew 17, 27, chapter 4, lest we should offend them. That was the takeaway message that the whole temple tax episode was about, lest we should offend them. So the issue was, Peter, we should not offend where it's not necessary. The lesson was, Peter, of Jesus being God and Messiah, that's offensive enough. We should be on our guard, Peter, to not offend over non-important issues. And this is the warning, to not offend over non-important issues. And that brings importance to the words that this chapter opens up with, at the same time, at that same time. It was at that same time, that very same time as having received the warning not to offend, that very same time that the disciples come to Jesus with this burning, very important question, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? At that very same time, he's given this warning to not offend. They should come to him with a question of who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's nothing offensive about that, is there? It's one of the most offensive, offensive questions they could ask. Who's the top dog? Who's the top man here in our group? If that was uh, you or me, if we were with the Lord and that happened, we could have very easily lost our cool and got very frustrated and say, I've just been addressing how important it is to not offend over the not important. Is there anything less important than who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But not the Lord. See, the Lord didn't get angry. He didn't lose it. This is so typical of the Lord. This is what is so admirable about the Lord, that he didn't take things personally with an angry reaction of, just when I'm addressing to you to not be offended, you come off with this most offensive question of your proud self-importance, like you're competing with each other for the position of the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Instead, what the Lord did is he looked at their question, and instead of saying, terrible, that you asked that question, the Lord inside, he says, great, this is great. This is a great opportunity for me to guide you and to instruct you. And the Lord never discouraged a person for coming to him with an honest question and an honest concern. The Lord always took the position of, okay, let's start from where you are and we'll go from there. And I was thinking about this because this is last week. I wasn't here because I was with a dear Jewish friend in Loretto and it was about a weekend and we were just he and I and and we played, we had fun. It was like we were in adult camp and we went scuba diving and played with sea lions down there 60 feet under the water and we rode horses and mules, much to my fear of riding a mule. I, I didn't want to do that. I, I told the guy, I said, you know, por favor, un ultimo foto de ma vida. Please take the last picture of my life, you know. And anyway, and we drove 10 miles on the Baja 1000 trail, which just two days before was the pre-race started down there. And we fished for Dorado and we chased a bluefin whale and, and we rode ATVs in the desert and we got lost on the beach. And I tell you, I was exhausted. My 75-year-old friend has a lot more energy than I do at 71. And my friend's not a believer. And so I typically prayed before each meal, and I thanked God for what we did that 
morning or afternoon or whatever it was, and especially I thank God that we didn't get hurt. But in our last dinner together, my friend surprised me when he said, no, I would like to pray before we eat. So I said, sure. And he prayed a very thoughtful prayer, again, thanking God for what we were able to do and for the safety. And then at the end of the prayer, he said this. He says, now, Lord, you know that I don't believe this, but out of consideration for my friend Tom, I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. (laughs) I was surprised. And you know what I prayed silently? Did you hear that, Lord? (laughs) Please meet my friend where he is and go from there. It's your turn, Lord. And I I was thinking and praying to the Lord. I said, Lord, I've been playing this tennis game of doubles, and I've been playing at the net. And now when he prayed that prayer, I cry out, yours, that's Lord. I move aside from the net, and I'm going to let you take that ball and return it to him. That's your ball, Lord. I yield that ball to you, Lord, because that was an honest prayer from my friend, and Christ will meet my friend where he is. And that was an honest question on the part of the disciples, and Christ met them where they were with five words. This is the key here in verse 1, where it says, came the disciples unto Jesus. See, they came to Jesus with their question, and because they came to Jesus, he's going to answer them. My friend comes to God. He says, I don't believe in Jesus, but he comes to God. He doesn't know God is Jesus, but he's going to meet him. And that's the key for anyone to find out who Jesus is, to accept his invitation to come to him. As he said in Matthew 11, 28, he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I can almost hear him saying, would you come already unto me? all you that are laboring heavy laden, and I'll give you the rest. It's the failure of a person to come to Christ, whatever state he's in. He doesn't believe in Christ, he comes to Christ. You know, whatever, whatever state he's in, he, if he comes to Christ, it's that failure of a person to come to Christ for the, it's the only reason why a person does not gain eternal life. As he said in John 5.40, John 5.40, you will not come unto me, you will not come to me, that you might have life. And it was so important to the Lord that the little children of all people, he says, the little children need to come to me, he said in Matthew 19, 14. Matthew 19, 14. But Jesus said, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me for as such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, actually, the way this all transpired here in these verses here, the way this happened is not exactly that the disciples just came to the Lord on their own to ask him this question. The truth is that the disciples were actually ashamed to come to the Lord, to Jesus, with this question, and he really kind of had to pry it out of them. And we see that Mark 9.33, the parallel passage, Mark 9.33, where it says, And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, 
If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and the servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said, Whosoever shall receive me, receive one of these such children of my name, receiveth me, so forth. So the disciples have been, before this point here, they've been spending their time talking among themselves as to who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Maybe it was Peter. Peter says, I'm going to be the greatest in heaven. I'm the chief speaker here, and I and keys were given to me, so I, Peter expects to be the greatest. Maybe it was Judas. Maybe it was Judas. He says, look, I, you know, I hold the bag of money. I'll be the chief treasurer at least. You know, I expect to be the great treasurer Maybe it was James and Jude, James and Jude, who were brothers of the Lord. And so they're thinking, family time, I'm in. Or maybe it was Andrew. Maybe it's Andrew who would be, he says, well, I was the first disciple called. I should be the greatest. Or maybe it was John. Maybe John is going to say, well, head on his chest. I'm going to be greatest. Again, here was an opportunity that the Lord was quick to take advantage of, of where he had their attention and he could use the drama of the moment. That's what I call it. The drama of the moment to make his point. This is what makes life with Christ so exciting. It's the drama of the moment where you and I are in an unexpected situation and we have no idea what to say. That's the drama of the moment. I think of that drama of the moment when I was chosen in 2009 to be the whistleblower of the year by the Taxpayers Against Fraud organization. My wife and I went to Washington, D.C. to receive the award. And there was a real drama of the moment where I would find myself in the ballroom of the Washington Hilton Hotel with 250 lawyers from all around the country. I don't know if you think that's a nice thing to be in the midst of 250 lawyers, but anyway, I was there. And I was going to receive this whistleblower of the year award. And I had no idea what I was going to say Went up to the podium. But anyway, at the beginning of the day, my wife, Cheryl, was a little nervous. So she asked me, well, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? And I told her I had no idea. So we, you know, spent the morning. We toured around Washington, went to all these museums and everything. And I was sensing with anticipation that there was coming this drama of the moment. It was coming that night. So in the afternoon, my wife, Cheryl, again, asked me, do you know now what you're going to say? And I told her again, I have no idea. And so that made her really nervous. So she sat down and she wrote my acceptance speech out on two pieces of paper. Short speech, you know, I'm grateful to live in this great country where truth ethics can win and et cetera. So I, you know, I took the paper. I said, thank you very much. I stuffed it in my pocket. And she knew that there was a very high likelihood that I was not going to use her speech. So she said to me, all right, I'm telling you this. If you get up there and you start to fall flat on your face, I'm not going to watch that. I have a key to the room and I'm going to walk out. She said that. And I said, I understand, dear. And I still had no idea what I was going to say. So that started the gathering time, the reception meeting with the orders and the cocktails and all the lawyers are moving around with their drinks in their hands from small group to small group to greet friends and colleagues. I still had no idea what I was going to say. But I noticed that all of the lawyers that I was meeting there, they had these names like Goldberg and Levine and Katz and Shapiro and so forth. And suddenly I realized that God had put me in the middle of the national group of Jewish lawyers in the country. And I still had no idea what I was going to say, but I knew that my goal was to say one name. 
And if I said that name, I won. And that name was the Lord Jesus Christ. So a person from the organizing committee, he knew me and because I had spoke at a funeral in D.C. in the past, and he knew the kind of person that had a tendency to speak long. So that person came to me and said, now look, he says, uh, you're going to be sitting here at the head table, and you are going to receive your award, and you were to speak for no more than three minutes, he says. And you're not the keynote speaker, he emphasized. The keynote speaker, he'll also be sitting at the head table. That's the Honorable Senator Patrick Leahy, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's the keynote speaker, not you. And I said, okay. And I sat down at the head table. So and the person at the podium explained what my whistleblower case was all about. And I was announced as the winner of the 2009 Whistleblower of the Year Award. There was applause. And I walked up to the podium and I walked. As soon as I hit the first step of that podium, I really felt the drama of the moment. And at that moment, I knew what I was going to say. And so I paused for a moment as I looked over all those dinner tables of people that could have been my family, Jewish lawyers, and, and it was as if the Lord said to me, this is your moment. These Jewish lawyers will never go to a church to hear preaching. And it was as if God said to me, but I've assembled them here tonight. This is a church. You're standing at the church podium. Don't let me down. Preach Christ. So I took a breath. And I started out by saying, I thought I was going to be the only Jew in this meeting. But I found out that I'm actually not the only Jew here. And then I proceeded to say, you know, I'd like to tell you about my inspiration to become a whistleblower. My inspiration to be a whistleblower came from a woman, a very brave woman, a Jewish woman, a Jewish woman who was the only Jewish person in a palace of a king. In fact, she was the wife of the king. She was the queen, but she kept it a secret that she was Jewish. No one knew that she was Jewish. She learned of a plot, of a final solution to kill all the Jews where all the Jews are going to be annihilated. And she risked her life to blow the whistle on the killer and all the Jews were saved. She's my inspiration for why I became a whistleblower. I said, does anyone here know who I'm talking about? It was to my surprise, nobody knew. I was surprised, I said, what happened to you in Sunday school class? Anyway, so, but then I said the killer was Haman. And then they all started to make pretend like they had noisemakers in. But then I went on to say, actually, I said, there was another person who is my inspiration to be a whistleblower. This person was a man. He's my hero. There was a plot to kill not only all the Jews, but all people. And he risked his life to blow the whistle. As a matter of fact, he did die in the process of blowing the whistle to save the people, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ, I said. And with that name piercing the deathly silence of unbelief in that room, I thought, I won, and as if the Lord said, you're done. And I just said, thank you very much. And I sat down, and I looked at my watch, and I'd spoken for 23 minutes. That was the drama of a moment the drama of a moment, a drama of the unexpected, and this is what makes for us life with Christ so exciting. How he meets us in the drama of the moment, the moment, the present, the now. And here in verse one, when Christ was asked, who was the greatest, that was a drama of the moment. And in that moment, the Lord Jesus looked around and, oh, 
he finds the perfect prop to make his point in verse 2. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. That perfect prop that Jesus was going to use to make his point was a little child. That little child was just there at the right time. And that little child was perfect for the Lord to use at that drama of the moment. This happened to me last week, last week, when our, part of our things we were doing is we were way up in the mountains of Baja, 15 kilometers south of San Javier. We drove down there and I started off the road to get to this Rancho Santo Domingo. And I looked at that and I said, is that a road? It was so rough with rocks and everything. Anyways, we got to this place, Rancho Santo Domingo, run by Senor Umberto. And the place has no electricity. You know, couches are outside with rain and urine, uh, animals all over the place, and a few small solar panels to charge some, very small solar panels, charge a few car batteries that ran a few lights at night. No telephone, no internet, no nothing. Anyway, but I was there, and, and my friend went off to go climb some mountains, I don't know what he was doing, to find some cave paintings. And I said, no, you go, tell me about I'll back here. So anyway, I was talking to Jack. And Jack is eight years old, and he's American. And Jack and his mom, Daniela, Daniela came out and greeted us. She's American. She, had, she and Jack had bicycled for three years, 2,000 miles, zigzagging all their way from Los Angeles down through Baja, sleeping in a, a tent and with a dog going along and all their possessions on the bike. And anyways, Danielle is a nuclear proliferation scientist and she has a goal over the next 10 years to zigzag her way down all the way to the tip of Chile by Antarctica with Dak and their dog camping in a tent and more power to them. Anyway, Daniela has been teaching Jack. This is the only education Jack's gotten as they travel their way and stay and work at different ranchos along the way. Very typical down there in ranchos where, you know, you got an older man, the wife's sick, the wife's died, the wife's left, he's alone, so she's trying to help out. So I was talking to Jack about the Bible. And at first, Jack says to me, what's the Bible? But then Jack said, no, you know, he had read half of the first page of the Bible and he said the Bible did nothing for him, and he came to the conclusion the Bible's not true. And he starts telling me a bunch of stuff about evolution and all that stuff. Now, that was a drama of the moment, and I wondered what to say to the eight-year-old Jack. You know, he says his things about the Bible. And just at that moment, one of the few light bulbs in the place went poof, and it went out, and Senor Umberto who's in his 70s, he is running around trying, and he finds the light bulb to replace it with. So this ranchero, Senor Umberto, finds the light bulb, he replaces it, and just like this little child in verse 2, this became for me the perfect prop. Just like the child was the perfect prop for the Lord to use in that drama of the moment, that light bulb that Senor Umberto had found became the perfect prop for me to use in this drama of the moment. So I said, Jack, I said, Jack, what do you think would have happened if Senor Umberto just held that light bulb up to the receptacle and didn't screw it in? I said, you know, no light. And Senor Umberto might have said, ah, I tried this light bulb, it doesn't work. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.